Welcome to the official show on the Fish Stripes podcast channel. Eli Sussman here. Fish Stripes covers the Miami Marlins every day in our own way, and we have a lot of fun doing it. Thanks to every one of you listeners for the support. Big plans for the pod channel in 2021. The season premiere of Earning Their Stripes is on deck for next week. Soon after that, we'll be launching a new additional daily program on this feed too. In the meantime, the Marlins are putting the finishing touches on the 2020-2021 offseason. It's been pretty widely reported, still unofficial, but pretty much confirmed that outfielder Adam Duvall has agreed to a one-year deal. He will. We will discuss all the ramifications of that on this episode. Plus, there's news of the Marlins losing a bidding war to the Phillies over Brandon Kinsler, their closer from last year. Yikes. We'll, we'll dive into that as well. Joining me on the show, it's Fish Stripes Midwest correspondent, Alex Krutchik. Thanks for taking the time, sir. Thank you, Eli. I'm glad to be on here. Glad to be talking Marlins baseball again. Yeah, I recently moved to Cleveland about a month ago. Um, so I, I, I just needed to get back on and talk Marlins with a bunch of people. And I felt like this week was the best week to do it. I mean, three months of, of uh, kind of a cold stove. And now in, in the past week, we've had pretty much the most excitement we've had all, all offseason. Yeah, better late than never to have something to talk about, something to critique and something to debate about. Also with us, our locally based intern, Daniel Rodriguez. It's great to have you back on the pod, Daniel. It's great to be here, Eli. It's great to see you, Alex, um, over there in Cleveland. And Cleveland does rock. Um, and to see everything going on with the Marlins with Adam Duvall and, you know, get finally getting a big signing where it's like the last couple of months, the biggest signing we had with Anthony Bass. But I, I'm ready to talk about Adam Duvall and just everything that's been going on with the Marlins this crazy week. Yeah, not going to delay you any longer. Just to get into that, Adam Duvall, as of on, I guess it was today's Wednesday, so on Tuesday, we got the news. Adam Duvall, one-year deal. It's $5 million guaranteed, so it's a tie, really, with Anthony Bass in terms of guaranteed money. A unique structure to the deal. It's only $2 million of salary this year in 2021. Then in 2022, there's a mutual option for potentially $7 million, but if either side opts out of that, it's a $3 million buyout. So most of the money is actually being delayed until after this season. But uh, gets reported as $5 million, and uh, we reached this late stage in the offseason with the Marlins missing out on so many of these corner outfielders who were on the market. They were running out of options. They got Adam Duvall. So we'll start with you, Daniel. Just some general thoughts about Adam Duvall and his fit with the team, whether you like the value or not. Um, I think the value what they got for Adam Duvall is, is about a good range for everything that he's been doing for the last couple of years. Especially last year, he had a, a really good upside last season. You know, 60 home runs, 33 RBIs. His batting average is not going to be 300 or 290. His mid-range is maybe around 230 or maybe around 215 around there. And plus his on-base percentage has, isn't really, I want to say, like top tier. He, he manages around 293, maybe 300. But as for the entire market, it's really going to see who are they going to let go. They have really too many outfielders around at the moment. You know, Magasiara, Lewis Brinton. I'm just trying to figure out who they let go to see who they bring in with Adam Duvall now. Yeah. In this next minute, I'm trying to set up something fun where I can 
share the screen of all these home runs that he hit last year, because you mentioned it 16 home runs last year in 57 games. You extrapolate that over a full season and it's, it's over 40. It's ridiculous. And it's a guy that has a track record doing this. I mean, he has, he was an all-star in his first full season with the reds. He was pretty good the following year. Then he fell off a cliff and he kind of revived himself with um here with the Braves kind of in a limited role. And then he got pushed into a larger role um, this year due to a lot of the injuries that they had, some of the COVID setbacks that they had. Um, and not really surprised totally with this guy because Craig Mish, who is on top of so many of these rumors, I mean, he was the one that was linking the Marlins to Duvall, I think back in December and then one other time in between. So it doesn't really come out of nowhere. I'd say the Marlins were the only team that was repeatedly like connected to this guy. Someone that personally in head-to-head matchups with the Marlins last year just torched them just like destroyed them and obviously right in the middle of that infamous 29 to 9 game and he hits one high in the air toward left look at that ball carry toward the fence at the fence leaping try it is gone Adam Duvall with another home run I just wonder how much that head-to-head competition played into the role of them being interested in him in the first place, just seeing him up close, like how, how like incredible he can be when he's actually hot. Even he's an inconsistent guy, but when he's actually on top of his game, he's a nightmare for everybody. Yeah. One of the things that I love about getting a slugger like this uh, from inside of your own division is we kind of know how he's going to play in these ballparks. You know, it's not like you got a guy coming over, from, from Coors Field and you don't know how to translate. We're, the Marlins are going to play 10 games at, uh, at Atlanta. Uh, we're going to play 81 games at Marlins Park, which he obviously loves playing at. And so you, you can already tell he played an exclusively uh, east side schedule last year in the American League and the National League, and it was one of his best seasons. So you know that playing in those ballparks, it, it'll, really, it'll really translate well for him. And then speaking of the last two seasons, uh, his last two seasons have also been his highest years in terms of uh, slugging percentage. It was 567 in 2019, 532 in 2020. Yeah, I mean, it's so there's a lot of pros and cons with this. I mean, one of them being his age stands out a little bit. The fact that he's 32 um, and obviously heading into after this first guaranteed year, the deal will be 33 next year. And that seems to be like a big difference. This, I mean, that's, some, this isn't new. This has been a trend in baseball where once you reach that age, like teams automatically assume that you're going to be on the decline moving forward. Like they don't even weigh your most recent stats all that heavily because they kind of bake it into their own projections that this player is on his way over the hill at some point just comparing him to like what some of these other outfielders got in free agency. The fact that Kyle Schwarber got twice as much guaranteed 10, $10 million and Eddie Rosario got about eight and even Adam Eden got about seven. That, that seems to be, that's an interesting factor in this for me is that, I mean, the Marlins in a position where they're so focused on saving money this offseason and didn't really seem to make a serious play for those other outfielders that, uh, yeah, it led them to this guy that they have a lot of unique familiarity with, but uh, another one that has some red flags. And uh, I guess another one is just the style that he his actual playing style is one that um, 
I don't, I think fans should be prepared that there are some flaws to his game for there's a big strikeout issue that he's had in the past. And even this most recent season striking out more than a quarter of the time that um, it's not a perfectly well-rounded player. So that's what I'll say. But um, I mean, more so than anything else, he just has that ability to hit home runs. And I mean, that seems like obviously something that, you can only put so much weight into that, but that's something just so in particular that the Marlins have been lacking. Like the last three years combined, I'm pretty sure they're dead last in baseball in total home runs over that time. And there was this great article uh, from Fangraphs that came out today about it that put together this really uh, unique leaderboard of combining the last two seasons in terms of just how often guys hit home runs when they come up to the plate and Duvall overall, uh, almost 8% of the time when he comes up to the plate, about once every 13 times that he has a plate appearance, he hits a home run. And it seems like such a simple thing. Um, and it doesn't make up for everything else, but the leader in that category over the last two years is Nelson Cruz. And number two on the entire list in major league baseball is Adam Duvall. I mean, other guys near the top, Pete Alonzo, Mike Trout, uh, Miguel Sano, Gary Sanchez. And it's kind of a mixed bag in between there as well. Like guys that you would think are, uh, not that desirable, like Jay Bruce um, and others that are a little less consistent, like Eugenio Suarez, that it's it's not a it shows that there is some sort of flaw to just focusing on the home run. But I mean, if nothing else, that's fun. I mean, just to reduce it to that, it's, it's going to be fun to have a guy that hits massive dingers and does it a lot. Yeah, and, and that's why the, the strikeout problem that he has doesn't really bother me too much, because Although he brings that strikeout problem, he also brings something that the Marlins haven't had in the last couple of years, uh, power. You know, they have power in Garrett Cooper, but we haven't actually seen the production yet because of all of his bad luck injuries. Adam Duvall is the only guy on the roster right now where we've seen, other than Jesus Aguilar, who had a, an all-star season where he hit over 40. Uh, other than him, Duvall automatically becomes your best power hitter. I wanted to mention it really quick last year. You mentioned the inconsistencies of Adam Duvall. I just want to go over a little bit of maybe pitching-wise, what pitches he's good at or maybe not so great, just to showcase how inconsistent he can be at times, especially at the beginning. Sliders, he's he's been pitched last year, 169 pitches for sliders. His batting average is 125, 6 for 48 on sliders. But then you go to four scene. 218 pitches, his batting average is 333, 15 for 45. So it really just depends on the pitches that, that Adam Duvall sees. Because if you go to cutters, he's batting 500. He's 6 for 12, 55 pitches. So it's really inconsistent, and they really probably want to put him with pitchers that they know that he that they he can hit their stuff, maybe sliders or four-seamers, and especially cutters. Sounds a little suspiciously close to Giancarlo Stanton's problems. Exactly. <laughs> and the power. Yeah, but I love the point you brought up about the pitch types and how that can go into the matchups that they have him play in. So that's that's a key here is we haven't the deal is not official yet. Uh so we haven't heard directly from Kim Ang or from Don Mattingly about how exactly they plan on using him. But that's that's gonna be a very interesting question. You would think that Starling Marte is locked in as the everyday center fielder. And that Corey Dickerson, for the most part, is going to be starting in left field. 
And with the continued uh, uncertainty about having a universal DH this season for the moment, as we're recording this, because this, this can change uh, at any moment, but at the moment, it seems likely that there will not be a DH in the national league, even though the Marlins had hoped that to be the case entering this off season, all that leaves really is right field. And obviously being a pinch hitter uh, to me, I, I think when I look at Duvall, that this is a nice addition, and I think it clearly addresses a need, and it makes the team better. But I don't see him as an everyday starting right fielder for this team. Uh, I don't think he necessarily has to be in the lineup every single day. You look at his career, and he, I mean, with the exception of his couple years with the Reds, 2016 and 2017, he hasn't been that everyday starting player in your lineup. He's a guy that has had some success when he's put in the right situations. And even though the Marlins desperately needed power, they desperately needed a guy like him that can hit both right-handed and left-handed pitchers for power too. That he's not necessarily that vulnerable to the platoon splits that uh, for all the positives that he could bring, I think he is a guy that is going to be in some sort of role where he doesn't necessarily play every day. Maybe he starts four or five times a week. Maybe there are hot stretches where he is playing every single day for a few weeks. Maybe there are cold stretches where for an entire series, he's just coming off the bench for that one big pinch hitting appearance. Uh, I mean, what's your initial thoughts on that, Daniel? Exactly how much playing time you think he'll get and how much you think he should get? I think maybe I'm on the camp that maybe they should start him just because of the other outfielders they have. Because I don't really trust Lewis Brinson and Magnus CR has just had minimal plate appearances and especially maybe other players, um, you know, Ciara. Harold Ramirez, who has who's been going through injuries and COVID, he had a really good winter season right now. In um, right now, uh, I'm sorry, right now, and also Monte Harrison going probably, I believe, will go down to AAA at the beginning of the season. So I really, I would put Duvall in there with Marte and Dickerson to start off the year. Maybe see how it goes to see how Duvall uh, does with the with Marte and Dickerson, just see how the chemistry is with the three, and just maybe use that going on going forward because the other options, I don't really don't see them going with Brinson again, especially over the course of the last couple of years with him. Well, the key question with all this, and honestly, I find this factor to be more interesting than the signing itself is who goes because somebody is probably going to go within the next few days. Once they finally make this official, the Marlins 40 man roster is full. They have to make a corresponding move in order to sign Adam Duvall. And uh, I've mentioned like throughout the off season, I've probably wasted way too much time, like speculating about who could be next up in terms of being designated for assignment and sense packing. And there are some pitchers that they may look into doing that as well. Guys that are kind of stuck in a relief role and could be pretty easily replaceable at this point, they have a big surplus of outfielders and guys that either need to play are already qualified to play at the major league level or guys that, probably should be tested at the major league level, have nothing left to prove in the minors, which brings us to Mish's report recently about Garrett Cooper. Almost as soon as this deal was agreed to between Duvall, you have opportunistic teams, the Dodgers, the Padres, and others reportedly checking in with the Marlins about Garrett Cooper. Cooper last year was just first baseman in DH, but in the past he's been in both left field and right field. Uh, I mean, last year he missed a lot of time with COVID, but when he was healthy, he was arguably their best hitter. I mean, he's a guy 
that hits for just as much power as Duvall does. And you can make the case he's actually a better overall offensive player because he gets on base more consistently. And Cooper with a fly ball. This one is going to go. Wow! Into the second deck in left. A one-run game. I mean, I know how I feel about this, so I'm going to save it for a couple minutes. Uh, we'll go to you on this first, Alex. What, what do you think about the possibility of selling high on him right now, now that he seems to be in an awkward position on this roster? Yeah, unfortunately, right now, the roster is presently constructed based on the fact there's no DH. I think you have no choice but to move him. Uh, but the benefit is that he, he does have a pretty high trade price right now. And to go to a team like the Dodgers, because Mish was talking about how that's one of the teams I was reaching out, you already know that the Dodgers have a huge stockpile of talent that they could send back. Uh, and so I think that'll be really interesting. But I have a question for you, Eli. Do you think that Jesus Aguilar, is, is there any uh, possibility of him being moved and putting Garrett Cooper at first base and uh, opening up another spot in the outfield? Yeah. Well, there hasn't been any substantial reporting on Aguilar being shopped or being available. I was kind of surprised in the offseason that they actually tendered him a contract. If, if people can put themselves in that mindset a couple of months ago, there was a lot of doom and gloom prognostications about teams cutting loose all these players that are DH types and um, sending them all in the free agent market and getting better deals later in the offseason. And the Marlins surprised some people when they re-signed Aguilar $4.35 million. He makes $2.5 million more than Cooper. So if you think, obviously, the team, if they're worried about their finances, that they'd be more proactive in, in trying to move him. Uh, it's complicated, though. I mean, Aguilar was one of the few guys last year that stayed healthy the whole year. Uh, they love him in the clubhouse. I mean, I'm not saying anything ill of Cooper, but just Aguilar goes so above and beyond in terms of ingratiating himself to his teammates, uh, both English-speaking and Spanish-speaking, that I think the team puts a lot of value on that, which it could be another reason why they offered him a deal. But, I mean, all, all that being said, I think that deal was made with the idea that there would be a DH in the NL, and now that there won't be, puts himself in a pretty uh, weird position. I, I mean, my, so my hang-up with both these possibilities, either Cooper or Aguilar, is that, I mean, in a vacuum, they might be just as good of hitters as as Duvall is. And I think the idea of signing Duvall for a one-year deal is he makes the team better for this year, and it kind of defeats the purpose if you bring in Duvall uh, but subtract another hitter that is almost of his same caliber. It kind of, obviously, financially, maybe that's a priority for them, but I think it would be, for me, and I think for a lot of fans, it'd be extremely unpopular that you're, it's, that it doesn't really accomplish anything at all in terms of it, it gets you a, a few extra low level young prospects. Um, but Cooper definitely has of those two, if they're in a position to trade one of the two uh, going by baseball trade values this has become one of my favorite sites to mess around with that Cooper in their estimation has $6.2 million of surplus value. Uh, so being having a zero trade value would mean uh yeah, essentially bringing back nothing in return. And Cooper is, is actually one of the more valuable batters that they actually have at the major league level with that es estimate at 6.2. And how far do I have to scroll to find Jesus Aguilar? His surplus value is only about $1 million, a $5 million difference in terms of the value that they have for him on this site. And almost all that is due to 
his contract because they're both about the same age. I think people would be surprised by that, that people think of Aguilar as being much further along than Cooper is, but they're both 30 years old as of this moment. So, I mean, the big hangup is that Cooper can give you a little bit more defensive versatility and that Cooper is a lot more affordable. And he also has an extra year of club control. Um, but yeah, so I'll give you more of my thoughts on that in a second, but Daniel, if you're still there, um, yeah, just same question to you on Cooper and the fact that he gave a lot to this team that they, they, when they got Cooper originally three years ago, they, he was kind of anonymous and they were able to actually build him up into this really impactful hitter that, uh, how do you feel about the timing of potentially moving on from him right now? If the deal presents itself. I personally love Cooper. I think he's just an amazing player. I think he brings a lot to the franchise, a lot to the team. Teammates love him. And he's also somewhat of a power hitter. Like Alex mentioned, like he could hit you home runs, maybe not 40 or around there, but probably around 25, 22 around there. But what I really want to know, you know, with Garrett Cooper, and you mentioned his trade value, how likely do you see him getting traded rather than maybe a guy like Harold Ramirez, who's also been, um, who's been talking about maybe potentially getting traded or even DFA. Do you see Harold Ramirez one that's most likely to be traded rather than Cooper? Or do you see Cooper maybe staying and, and, and maybe not getting traded? Uh, well, I think this is an important time to like clarify exactly what the report is from Mish. He's reporting yeah. on all these teams calling the Marlins about <laughs> Cooper. They want Cooper. They want Cooper for obvious reasons that I just laid out that he was one of the best hitters on the Marlins last yeah. year that he has some versatility that is really affordable. Like other teams want him and they know that the Marlins have to move somebody in order to put mm-hmm. Duvall on the roster. I would be surprised. I would be beyond surprised if they traded him right now. Um, I, again, for all the reasons that we just covered, just because that rumor is out there doesn't mean I want to give too much credit to it. I would, my expectation is the two guys to look at in this situation are Harold Ramirez and Lewis Brinson, two guys that are both also corner outfielders, that they're extremely affordable, they're very controllable, but they don't have anywhere close to the major league track record that Duvall has. I, I've been following Harold as closely as anybody. People that are longtime listeners of the pod or who followed me on social media know that Harold is one of my favorite players. Uh, not because I believe he's going to be a star per se, but I just find him to be a really delightful role player, a guy that they picked up out of obscurity a couple of years ago and uh, like made an impact right away as a rookie in 2019. All that being said, I watched him in winter ball. He still does some of the delightful things you like. He spreads the ball to all fields. He runs surprisingly well for a guy his size, uh, but he doesn't hit the ball in the air. Uh, he is He has a lot of fundamental issues defensively. So even though we expect the DH to be here a year from now, the unlikelihood that's going to be here in 2021 is a very big issue because I think he would be the weakest defensive outfielder on the roster. I think he'd be mostly limited to just pinch hitting if he actually even makes the team. And there's really not much purpose of sending him down to the minors because he doesn't have anything left to prove down there in terms of being an offensive player that uh, he just seems like a much better fit in the AL this year. And just with this decision, I think it kind of telegraphs um, their intentions that they're not totally pleased with their major league ready outfielders. So he's someone that his trade value is not quite as high as Cooper's. Um, Let me check right here. It's, it's probably 
it's a little lower than I would probably have it myself. Let's find Ramirez. Uh, I can't even find him on this list, but like he'd bring back something in return, but not a whole lot. This would just be more so about the fit with the team. It's, it's, uh, it's really as simple as that. Just fitting the roster that they have, um, that his ceiling as a player, I don't think is quite as an everyday player. He just, I think he maxes out as just a really fun platoon outfielder um, that you would use in certain situations that he's a major leaguer. I think he's going to be around for a while, but it seems like a sloppy fit, but the guy I want to spend more time on is Lewis Brinson because Brinson was, he was kind of vaulted to being the face of the franchise as soon as they acquired him in the Yelich trade because of the Marlins connection, being a Marlins fan growing up, and because of the fact that he was the consensus top prospect in the organization at the time. Um, but I haven't seen this comparison. Maybe I'm the first one to make it that him and Duvall, their profile is actually surprisingly similar. I, I don't think people think of that automatically i mean for the obvious reasons the fact that um they're built a little bit differently brinson has your more prototypical great athletic size and he has your better prospect pedigree but he has some of the same potential that makes duvall a successful major leaguer and he has some of the same flaws that have held duvall back and uh at this point in his career like the absolute best case pie in the sky scenario for brinson is to become a player like Adam Duvall. But I mean, the more reasonable scenario is that he's just not very good. That he's just not a major league quality player. And this was this 2020 season was his breakout year. And he was still a, a replacement level player. Like he was made some great plays defensively. He had a couple long home runs and he had one really brief stretch end of August, early September when he was um, one, the hottest hitter on the team. But overall, he's just, he's not good. I mean, he's now heading into his age 27 season and he's a career hitter under 200 and he strikes out uh, close to 30% of the time and uh, he doesn't have good plate discipline. It, it's, it's some of the things that, uh, that characterize Duvall, except Duvall has actually done these things in the major leagues for years and years. Uh, whereas Brinson, he's been getting chance after chance and uh, it hasn't, it hasn't really translated at all. So, I mean, besides, before turning back to you, I, I think the one reason why I think the timing is right uh, to get rid of Brinson, I don't think they will. I think Harold is the more likely one to be gone at this moment, but with Brinson, uh, it's an annual tradition in spring training that he just lights the world on fire that he shows all this promise. He puts it all together in spring training during these games that don't count and he gets our hopes up. So for me personally, I think it would be, uh, it would be a relief to avoid all that conversation this year and to pull the cord right now and have him put up those great spring training numbers uh, somewhere else. Yeah. I was so excited last spring during that like two week period where major league baseball was saying, Hey, maybe we'll play the regular season at minor league parks. Because I thought that Lewis Brinson playing 60 games at Roger Dean stadium. I thought he was going to win the silver slugger. I thought he was going to win MVP. 226 at bats, no homers in the big leagues. There's a high fly ball way back left field. See you later. Lewis Brinson. I think he put that on the roof of the Marlins building in left field and it's two to nothing. 
Incredible. A season ago, only one major leaguer, Billy Hamilton, had more at-bats without a home run than Lewis Brinson. Um, but in all seriousness, I love Lewis Brinson, and I want nothing more. If I had to pick any guy on the team to be successful, it would be him because he's such a great guy, and you can tell that he has potential. He obviously has the physical capabilities to do this. But if you take away the emotion behind it, kind of what you mentioned before, his ceiling isn't that high anymore, and there's just not enough reason to believe that he'll ever turn into an all-star type player. So I think that at this point, even if you can't trade him, I think you have to send him down to AAA. He still has, I believe, one option left. And unfortunately, it might be a situation kind of similar to last year where he started off in the minor leagues and he only came up because of the the, the COVID breakout. I think you have to do something similar this year where you put him in AAA and unless someone gets hurt, he can't come back up. Because again, speaking of playing in spring training stadiums, we already know that he's going to put up numbers in AAA. I, I don't trust those numbers when he comes back up to the major league. So I think that the only reason you bring him up is if someone gets injured and if he can produce then, then great, you keep him up and then you figure it out from there. Yeah. Just to lay it all out for people. I mean, Harold and Brinson, both the same age. Harold is actually a couple months younger than Brinson. If, if you're that type that wants to be really patient with players, Harold is actually a little bit younger. Both of them have one minor league option left, so they could be sent down. Uh, but in both cases, they really don't have anything left to prove down there. I mean, the issue with Brinson has always been just translating that to the majors. And I mean, both of them, according to baseball trade value, they have essentially uh, no trade value in either case. Um, that's always been interesting to me is how a number of these uh uh, and analysts actually project Harold moving forward. All of them are really skeptical of him being able to hit moving forward, which is something I, I sort of disagree with. I think he does a lot of things, spreading the ball to all fields and um, the way he handles different types of pitchers. I think he's a guy that will get on base at a respectable clip uh, moving forward, no matter what. Um, but the lack of power that he's shown is something that really holds him back. Uh that, again, that's my prediction. I've been terrible at predicting these things, but my prediction is that Harold is the one that, that gets traded uh, in these coming days as a guy that they have less invested in. I, I guess we should mention that angle of it too, the fact that Brinson being billed as such a high uh, – him single-handedly, he was a very big piece of that yellow steel, as was Monte Harrison. I mean, Monte Harrison is another one that to this point didn't produce in his very limited major league action – and he has a minor league option left, but in, in the same way as Brinson, you know, he's already performed at AAA. He just needs to carry it over to the major leagues. But because of that and how much they have invested in him, that makes it more likely that they give him a longer leash to figure things out, that they prefer him as that, you know, backup option to step up in case of injury, because inevitably there will be an injury at some point. More so than anything else, I'm just excited for Kim Eng finally getting to make an interesting decision because that's been uh, one of the holdups of this offseason. It's not really her fault. I mean, we can, uh, as best we can tell, that she's being restricted a little bit by the lack of willingness to spend from ownership. She hasn't had to make a lot of interesting decisions this offseason, and this is finally one of them, finally, to come in with a fresh set of eyes and a fresh perspective on all these players that have been in the organization a couple of years and for her to make a call or at least have the loudest voice in the room to make the call in terms of 
which of these players is redundant and which one of them uh, you're just willing to move on from to address another need that it comes down to. So more than anything else, I'm just, I'm excited for, for her to get an opportunity to actually do something that matters. The last thing they need to do is they need to sign or leave her because obviously they lost Brandon Kinsler uh, this afternoon to the Phillies. And I, do, do you guys feel comfortable with Ryan Bass closing for the moment? Because I think that that's, Ooh. I think that uh, that's what it's looking like right now. Yeah. Anthony Bass called him Ryan Bass. Who's, Sorry. who's Ryan Bass? <laughs> Anthony Bass. Yeah. I don't know who Ryan Bass is. <laughs> Well, it's a reset. I mean, the, also, the, the closer market's actually, you know, they've got like Trevor Rosenthal, Mark Melanson, Ken Giles. So I guess there may be other guys to go for, but I'm I guessing they, they want to go with Anthony Bass and send him to the same contract as Duvall, paying him a good amount of money. I, it looks like they probably want to use Bass as the closer, see how it goes. Yeah. To reset for people that may have missed this, that Brandon Kinsler is going to the Phillies on a minor league deal. Um, really odd situation where of course the Marlins had control over Kinsler for 2021. They had a club option in his contract that they could have picked up for uh, $4 million. Instead, they took a cheap buyout to send him into free agency. They reportedly remained in touch with him, you know, for a lot of this winter, but didn't really make an offer to him until Monday night. That's according to Barry Jackson of the Miami Herald that their offer to Kinsler on Monday was $2 million guaranteed and presumably some incentives in there as well. For This was a guy that, remember, was due to make about $4 million if they'd picked up his option that uh, they made an offer to him on Monday night, a guaranteed deal, which is, you know, it's at a time in the offseason where a lot of players at this point are accepting minor league deals. That's something. Um, it's unclear if any other team made him a major league offer, but the Phillies ended up getting him on a minor league deal that doesn't guarantee him anything for the moment, but if he makes their opening day roster, he gets 3 million in salary and then another million in incentives. If he actually winds up pitching late in games for them and he stays healthy. So it gives him a a path to recouping all that money that he was originally due in his contract. He can max out at $4 million with the Phillies. And it's just, it's weird. It's weird that, the Marlins would take this approach where they could have simply matched the Phillies offer. It sounds like Kinsler, uh, based on uh, these reports and just from following him last year, that if the Marlins had simply made the same offer that the Phillies made, that he probably would have come back to the Marlins, that he had a nice thing going with the Marlins. He's a guy that hasn't really had all that many closing opportunities in his career. And he finally had that short in 2020 season where he gets a stick in the closers role that he wanted to come back. And um, for whatever reason, they, they were not comfortable exactly matching. I mean, ultimately the difference here is that the Phillies said, you make the team, your salary is $3 million. The Marlins said, you're on our team, but your salary is $2 million. And I mean, to let that $1 million make the difference between bringing back a guy that is comfortable in your organization and that you're comfortable with and to have him go to a division rival is it's disappointing. It seems like a missed opportunity. Um, One thing I wanted to tie together between our two subjects of this pod, Adam Duvall and Brandon Kinsler that I noticed is that Kinsler and Duvall face each other three times last year and Duvall hit two home runs in those three at bats, both of them like really backbreaking 
game-changing home runs. And Kinsler, against everybody else that he faced last year, pitched 24 innings and only allowed one home run. He allowed two of his three home runs to Adam Duvall, of all people. If we're to take uh, the latest report from Craig Mish, literally, he, he seems um, pretty doubtful about the fact that they're going to go after any other reliever of this caliber, that if they're going to add anybody else between now and spring training, it's probably going to be someone on a minor league deal, a non-roster invitee. Um, I, I think even so, it's worth just like throwing the names out there of everybody that's still available in free agency, because this is usually a time, February 10th, that we're already grading the offseason but there's simply so many players still on the market. And I think Daniel mentions a couple of them, but just going through the list, Trevor Rosenthal, who had an incredible 2020 season, uh, split between two teams, Justin Wilson, uh, Tony Watson, who had a lot of closing experience with Pittsburgh back in the day. Uh, coming up later this week, David Robertson is going to be holding a, a throwing session. He's a guy that is a former teammate of Derek Jeter's with the Yankees. He's coming back from Tommy John surgery, but when he is right, he has incredible swing and miss stuff. So I think that's a guy I might be watching just in case that they bend their rules for, bend their budget for. I mean, Brad Boxberger is still out there too. I mean, and he had a fairly decent season for the Marlins last year. Tyler Clifford is someone that they've been linked to a little bit. Again, another former Derek Jeter teammate for a brief period of time that uh, at, if nothing else, he's a really durable pitcher out there. And uh, I mean, another one is Mark Melanson. Mark Melanson, who has been surprisingly lights out with the Braves as their closer the past couple of years. He's someone that you would think gets a major league deal as well. He has some similarities to Kinsler and that he doesn't overpower you, but he's just been so consistent year after year after year after year. And uh, if the Marlins don't sign them, I mean, most of these players are going to sign somewhere. So you're either improving yourself or you're, uh, you're daring your opponent to continue getting better and continue improving their depth. Uh, there's also one more guy I wanted to mention really quick who had just a really great season last year. You Shmero Petit with the A's. He had a 1.6 ERA, 21 innings pinch. I think that's another guy that the Marlins can look at maybe as a setup guy to Anthony Bass or potentially maybe a spot closer sharing the role. That's really, that's a guy I think the Marlins should really target just Merrill Petit as well. Maybe the other guy, maybe like a Shane Green or a Mark Lanson or, or Colin McCool who's coming out of opting out last season with the Red Sox. But those are some of the guys I would focus on for the Marlins, maybe starting with Petit. Yeah. Former Marlin used Merrill Petit 15 years ago or so when nobody knew who he was. But yeah, he's built himself quite a career since then. One other thing I wanted to get into before we go on the show was this weird story that popped up on Twitter on Wednesday from, of all people, David Sampson, the former Marlins president, drew people's attention to this GoFundMe fundraiser that had been set up a few days ago, set up by, the Mar by an employee within the Miami Marlins who was raising money for these other employees that had been furloughed. Uh, from the Marlins last year. And I mean, the weird part about it is that the people, it was an internal fundraiser that for some reason they posted online to the public. And that's what kind of made this such a weird look and had the Marlins like leap out and do some damage control. There's an article on fish stripes that goes into a little bit more detail about it. Um, all I wanted to do is just shout out some people that made donations because 
of people within the Marlins organization that were uh, like out of their own pocket paying their coworkers because they had been furloughed by the organization themselves. And these people aren't looking for credit. That's why I didn't put all their names on the article. And that's why I don't want to like stick on the subject too long, but uh, on the major league coaching staff, Don Mattingly, James Rousin, Keith Johnson, Wellington, Cepeda, um, all of them made donations. Some of those donations as much as a thousand dollars to this like sudden fundraiser and others within the organization, based on what I was able to find, Al Padrique, Adrian Lorenzo, Ivan Artiega, Joey Nero, Hector Crispo, Phil Plantier, Joseph Caro, Luis Durante, Neil Gayhart, Jason Erickson, and Patrick Osborne. If you're a real diehard Marlins fan, then you know a lot of these names. Uh, and even if you don't, um, it's probably better to keep it that way just because they're not looking for credit from all of this. But uh, I think that's about 14, 15 names that like raised collectively almost $10,000 to like pay these furloughed workers within the organization. So according to Craig Mish, those donations are all going to be returned to those individuals and that the Marlins organization themselves are going to do something to, you know, make things right with this situation. Uh, Just wanted to address that for people that were a little confused by it. I guess that just leads us to the final topic about the financial state of the Marlins, because uh, I, that's what caught some people off guard with signing Duvall is that we'd reached this late stage of the offseason that we, people were worried if the Marlins had any money to spend whatsoever. And then, of course, that ties together with the Kinsler situation as well, that they let essentially one million dollars get in the way of them bringing back their really popular closer. So, I mean, as things currently stands, their projected payroll Uh, By my best estimates, if you fill out the entire uh, actual active roster with young players, it's going to be about $59, million, $58.5 million for the team, Uh, one of the lowest figures in the league. It's probably $15 million lower than what their payroll was going to be heading into 2020 spring training. How much longer do you think fans are going to put up with this before they expect more of the organization? Yeah, I don't think this ownership group was ever going to be big spenders, but I think that people are discounting just how much the the pandemic affected them. I mean, I don't think that they were going to be this cheap by year four without a pandemic. I don't think it would have been over a hundred million. I think that I think that they spent so much money just on buying the team that, of course, they weren't going to have the money to be big spenders where the Yankees and Dodgers and Astros are, but. Yeah, unfortunately, I know people don't like to make excuses, but yeah, the COVID-19 pandemic, it affected everyone and it affected the Marlins probably more out of anyone because their margin of error is already so small when it comes to how much money you could afford to lose. Yeah, as things currently stand, I mean, one of the storylines we've been following now ever since the ownership change is the local television deal. Or it's it's getting ridiculous at this point that we're barely two weeks away from the first spring training games and they do not have a deal in place with Fox Sports Florida. I mean, the previous one after 15 years finally expired. There was all this excitement within the Marlins organization that they would be able to double or triple, you know, the average revenue that they get each year from that under a new deal with with that regional sports network, and yet. There, there's seemingly been 
some progress, but they don't even sound like especially close to figuring anything out with that situation, that that uncertainty hangs over everything as well. From the day they took over, from the initial pitches that they were making to minority owners, they were saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. The reason why the Marlins have had so much trouble in the past is they have a crappy TV deal, and that's all going to change with us, that we're going to renegotiate, and we're going to get, instead of $18 million a year, that we're going to get 55, and that uh, everything is going to be trending up, and that this is going to give us the capital to add directly to the major league payroll. And I mean, without that critical piece, then nothing really makes sense. But we're actually going to have an article coming up on, on Fish Drives, I think tomorrow, exploring the alternatives if they don't get a TV deal hammered out. And it's, it's crazy that we even have to think about that possibility of not having TV coverage of a major league baseball team. Any final words, topics that we want to get into on this before we uh, like just let things play out and turn things over? I think we focused on all the main stuff. Um, I have one, I, maybe not to get too much out of place, but any chance we see Yasiel Puig, maybe at all? <laughs> uh, is that just a, whole, a, a Miami favorite? Do you even see him even signing anywhere? Or, or I just had to throw that out. Why not? <laughs> Anything with Yasiel Puig? Well, no, at this point, Duvall clearly closes the door on that. It's, it's an interesting situation with him. I mean, he changed agents months ago and the Marlins were linked to him at one point, but that report was since kind of walked back that that interest wasn't that real, um, that the interest wasn't genuine in that case. I mean, the Marlins did have real interest in him last winter. I mean, I will I'll put myself in that frame of mind that it looked like it'd be a great fit at that point heading into 2020, but after missing a year, and now with this like overload of outfielders they already have, that uh, it's not going to happen in Miami. I don't know where it's going to happen, though, because, yeah, things are coming down to the wire pretty quickly with him. And uh, obviously a talented player and still right in the prime of his career by a traditional aging curve, but, but he hasn't been quite the same even over the last couple of years heading into all this missed time that he's had. So I'm, no matter what, when he signs with anybody, it's going to be a big story for whatever reason. And then uh, he's actually going to have to perform to make keep himself relevant any longer than that. But we're going to cut it off right here with, with Alex Krutchik from Cleveland and Daniel Rodriguez here locally here on the official show with myself, Eli Sussman, pitchers and catchers reporting February 17th. Full squad workouts for the first time will be on February 23rd, and uh, we're working with the Marlins to actually have some of our guys up there in Jupiter to watch these guys up close. Please uh, subscribe, rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. A lot more coming from this feed. Uh, I think on Monday, we're going to have a lot of new stuff coming as well. And then throughout the rest of spring training, we got some ambitious plans to really grow out our coverage here on the pod. So stay current with us on all our platforms. Thanks for the support and go fish.